Time now for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. The tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Dick Kalmar stars as the detective who is enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend on Boston Blackie from 1946. Then it's the one, the only... Groucho on part one of You Bet Your Life from 1949. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, How are Carl, you? I'm What's great. going How on? How are you? What's happening in Hollywood? So a lot of exciting things yeah? this week, Tell but uh, one important thing is Paul Reiser mm-hmm. and Helen Hunt yeah. just closed a deal with Sony Pictures Television to reprise what show? Mad About You? Mad About You. Yeah. Do you remember Paul and Jamie Buckman? Yeah, I remember Mad About You. I like the show. I did too. So I think are... I watched one episode. Really? Yeah. See, I, I watched mean, it religiously. It, it was a very uh, good show, but I, it just wasn't my thing. So. Really? Yeah. I loved it. Watched a few episodes. I must not have been the only one who loved it because yeah. it was on NBC from 92 to 99. Really? Yeah. And um, it received five Emmy nominations and Helen Hunt won an Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Lead Actress four years in a row. So wow. that's a pretty not major bad. accolade. Um, right now, Helen Hunt is... 54. Paul Reiser is 62. So there's been a passage of time here. They've remained close friends and now we'll uh, have a new uh, reboot. You know, Paul Reiser is right now on Stranger Things in this in this current season. You know, I haven't watched the current season. Yeah, he season. plays kind of an evil scientist on it. Really? He's really good on he's it. A, he's a great actor. Yeah. And, of course, reboots are all the rage right now. Yeah, so there's been so many successful reboots. This is going to be just one more on and the list. And of course, Helen Hunt's one of the greatest actresses ever. I mean, she's I, amazing. I agree with so, you. So yeah, terrific. All right. Yeah, well, we I'll check it out. That. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. All right. It's time for my favorite radio show of all time, Boston Blackie. It was a fictional amateur detective character created by Jack Boyle. Now, Boston Blackie, Lisa, he was a criminal. He was a safe cracker. And he was a master thief, and he went to jail. They actually caught him, and he went to jail. And in jail, he was rehabilitated. And when he came out, he decided to be a good guy and use his knowledge of the underworld to fight crime. As an amateur detective, known as enemy to those who make him an enemy, friend to those who have no friend. And uh, Chester Morris played him. In 14 films for Columbia Pictures, it was a very successful film series. He then played the role for one season on radio, and then they brought in Dick Kalmar, who was married to Dorothy Kilgallen. And Dick Kalmar played Boston Blackie in about 200 episodes. And we have a Dick Kalmar Boston Blackie episode for you now from June 18, 1946. This is called The Hooded Gang. Here's part one of Boston Blackie.
tell you why we're meeting here. Why? Why, John? And why we're all wearing masks. I uh, think we know, boss. <laughs> yes? Perhaps you do, number one. You're wearing masks and are known to each other by number only because each one of you is wanted by the police for murder. You're all professional killers with a great deal of experience in the trade. And all the best in the business. We hired to do some killing now, boss? No, number eight, I hope killing won't be necessary. But if it is, well, I know all of you can be counted on for a good performance. The masks and the numbers will be worn only at these meetings. Because none of you know the identity of the others. And I think it wise that it remain that way. <laughs> Afraid we'll rat on each other, boss. Men of this profession have been known to inform on their associates before. <laughs> the masks and number preclude all temptation of that here. You're strangers to each other. Even though we will now all work together, you shall remain strangers. You say we're going to work together. What's the ragged? I'll come to that in a moment. I first want to make clear just one more thing. You have not been hired by me to kill. But I hired you because you are killers. We want our clients to pay us for our services. We much prefer that. But in the event a client does not uh, want to do business with us, <laughs> well, you know what to do. <laughs> Any questions? Uh, yeah. Uh, why do we have to kill a guy who won't pay? <laughs> Are there any other questions? Good morning. Hi. You Ernie Howard? Yes. Nice little candy shop you got here. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's good. Guess you'd like it to stay nice, wouldn't you? Why, yes, I... Stay nice? What do you mean? Ah, uh, look, I want $5,000 from you, or this candy shop ain't gonna be so sweet. <laughs> I don't understand. $5,000. Understand that? Yes. I want it. Understand that? Yes, but why do I have to... Oh... Oh, I, I think I understand everything now. Get out! Uh-uh, uh-uh. Get out or I'll call the police! Oh, now what good would that do you? I haven't done anything. Yet. <laughs> but I am going to do something if I don't have that 5,000 bucks by this time tomorrow morning. You, you can't threaten me! This has nothing to do with you, pal. It's your wife. We'll kill her. My, my wife? Yeah, yeah. Not you. Your wife. Nice little twist, isn't it, huh? Now, let me tell you something. In case you figure on having a copsy when I come to see you tomorrow, sure, the cops will get me, but, uh, that won't save your wife. Why not? Because there's six other guys in this with me. Six other guys who'll go after your wife if anything happens to me, see? And don't think the cops will make me rat on her, because I can't. See, I don't even know who these other guys are or what they, uh, look like. You're lying. You have a cop here tomorrow morning when I come back to see you, and you'll find out. So, Mac, uh, unless you're tired of your wife, don't go to the cops. Go to the bank. 
After he left, I was afraid to go to the police, Blackie, but I, I thought it was all right to come to you. It was a good idea to come to me, Howard. What time do you have to give this man the 5000 uh, Tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. All right. Give him the money. But I, I don't have $5,000. You don't? Hmm. Well, I do. I'll give it to you. Oh, oh thank you, Blackie. I, I'll pay you back every penny of it. Oh, no, you won't. I'm not giving it to you. I'm just letting you have it to give to this man. If you'll cooperate with me, it may turn out to be the best $5,000 I ever invested. I'll do anything you say, of course. Good. All you have to do is to let me hide in the back of your store tomorrow when this man comes to see you. I want to get a look at him. He said he was a member of a gang. Yes, but he does know the others, and if you hide in my store, there'll be trouble. Sure there will. Plenty of it. I'm starting a personal gang war. Me against that character and his pals. Inspector Faraday, I'm Mrs. Ernie Howard. Oh, sit down, Mrs. Howard. Oh, thank you. Now, what can I do for him? You can do a lot, Inspector. This morning, a man came to my husband's candy shop and ordered him to pay him $5,000 or I would be killed. What? Yes, Inspector. That's exactly what the man said. My husband doesn't know it, but I was in the back of the store at the time, and I heard everything. Well, I'm glad you did hear everything, Mrs. Howard. Uh, this guy probably told your husband not to go to the police, and so he's not coming to us, is he? No, no, he isn't. And I don't know where he's going to get the $5,000. We don't have that much. You don't need that much, Mrs. Howard. In fact, you don't need a cent. All you need is protection. And you've come to the right place for it. I'll see that you're safe and comfortable when I go to your husband's store tomorrow morning to make somebody else mighty uneasy. Well, it's ten minutes to ten, Howard. No, Black, it's five minutes to ten. That guy should show any minute now. Where can I hide and still see everything? In the back room, Blackie. There's just a curtain for the door. Good. Where's your wife? Oh, Blackie, I suppose I should have phoned and told you about it. When I got back from seeing you yesterday, I received a phone call from a wife. She's at her sister's in the country. Well, that's a good place for her, right now especially. Uh-oh. Look who's here, Inspector Faraday. Blackie, what are you doing here? Minding my own business, Faraday, so why don't you get out of here and mind yours? Because my business happens to be right here. You Ernie Howard? Uh, yes. Your wife came to me yesterday afternoon with a story about an extortionist demanding $5,000 from her husband or she'd be killed. She came to you, but, but I thought... That uh, everything that... you thought is what I told her to make you think. I didn't want you to get excited and think the cops were going to interfere and endanger your wife's life. Now, uh, we're going to... Say, it's 10 o'clock now. Yes, you'd better get out of here, Faraday. Don't give me orders, Blackie. It's 10 o'clock and you're here. Why? Why? Because I have Ah, uh, to... wait a minute. I think I know why... Don't move, Blackie. Oh, Faraday, put away that gun. You know guns make you nervous. Yeah, and shakedown guys make me sore. Keep your hands up. Have you already paid him, Howard? Or was he just trying to collect when I walked in? Hey, Inspector Faraday, yeah, you're... Yeah, I know. You're... I'm wasting time. So I'll search him and find out for myself. I don't blame you for alibying him. You're probably scared stiff. Faraday, sometimes, like now, you do the dumbest thing. Hold still. Well, look what I just got out of your pocket. A nice fat roll of hundred-dollar bills. And just about fat enough to be $5,000. And that head of yours is just about fat enough to keep me from getting any sense into it, isn't it? Listen, Faraday, there isn't time to explain. It's two minutes after ten and that shakedown guy is going to be here any minute. He's already here, Blackie. He's you. 
And he's leaving right now. Oh, with me. Please, Inspector Faraday, uh, you... Don't worry can... about your wife, Howard. She's safe. And once this guy's in jail, she'll stay safe. Come on, Blakey. All right. Well, let me get my briefcase off this counter. Since when did you carry a briefcase? I don't. It belongs to Howard here. But right now, it belongs on your hand. Hey, Cartman, get out of it. Like that. Sorry. I've got to shut you up, Faraday. Where are you going? With my best pocket handkerchief. Hold that cord on the counter, Howard. Quick, while I hold him. Blakey, but you shouldn't do this. It'll mean trouble. As much trouble as, as if your friend walked in here and found a policeman. Here, he sat up. Help me take him into the back room. Quick. All right, I'll take his feet. Good. Now let's carry him back. Behind the curtain. Quick. All right. Easy there. Now, where do you want him? On the floor here. All right. There. Good. Now, get out there in front. Your friend will be here any minute. I'll wait in here. All right, but I just hope he doesn't. Hey, wait a minute. You forgot something. What is it? Oh, nothing important. Just the $5,000. Here, I just got it out of Faraday's pocket. Give it all to the man. After I do that, what then? My friend Mary Wesley is waiting outside in my car. After your friend leaves, I'm going to follow him. Oh, I see, and then... Oh, all right. Oh, it's you. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, how's everything? Uh, fine. Yeah, fine. Huh? Well, that's great. Got the money you owe me? Yes, here it is. Oh, God. Thank you. You're a smart guy to pay your debts. See you around. Yes, yes, I'm afraid so. Blackie, he's gone. Yes, I got a good look at him, too. I'll see you later, Howard. Hurry, Blackie, he's getting into a car. And so am I in a minute. Let's go, Mary. Okay. I saw a man come out of the candy store just now. Is that the one? That's the one. He got into that tan coupe up there. And he's pulling away. Let's go after him. Here we go. And let's hope he doesn't go through any red lights. I'd hate to have to break the law. I'd like to catch up with him. I'd like to break his jaw. He isn't driving terribly fast, Blackie. Nobody realizes he's being followed. He brought us out into the country to try to shake us. Uh-oh, he's speeding up. Well, we can do the same. Careful, Mary. This road has a lot of nasty turns. Yeah, I know, but I can go as fast as our friend in front of us. Sure. We don't want to lose him. I've got to make him talk about that gang of his. And I'd rather lose him than our lives. Hey, he's coming to that bridge, and he's not going to make the turn. Mary, slow down. I will. Oh, good heavens. He's on the bridge. Stop the car, Mary. All right. Come on. Let's go after him. I'm right behind you. Come on. Woo! What a smasher. You can hardly tell that's a car. And our friend is inside there, too. Oh, look, Blackie, what's in the road here? It's a hotel key. I'll take that. Only it probably means nothing. Let me just get this door open. There. Whew. Good thing you're a nurse, Mary. This fellow needs... A nurse? No, an intake, Mary. He's dead. And so are we. He was our only clue to the extortion gang. A gang of extortionists has demanded $5,000 from Ernie Howard, operator of a candy store. The gang threatens to kill Howard's wife unless he pays or if he goes to the police. So Howard goes to Blackie, who gives him the money. After a brief altercation with Faraday in Howard's store, Blackie waits until the money is paid and then follows the extortionist in his car. But in an attempt to escape, the gangster wrecks his car and is killed. 
As we return to our story, Blackie and Mary are driving back from the scene of the fatal accident. Too bad that man was killed, Blackie. Too bad in more ways than one, Mary. He's only dead, but we've lost our best lead to that gang of extortionists. Can we find another lead? I don't know. I hope so. Because until we do, this gang can go right on shaking down storekeepers and maybe killing them, too. You know, I think I'll try the key we found at the accident. Do you think it's the key to the dead man's room? Well, we found it just outside the wrecked car. There's a good chance that it's his. It says the Maxwell Hotel. Where's that? Down in the lower part of the city. Say, drive me down there, Mary, will you? Then go home and wait to hear from me. This key may open the door that may help me close this case. Mary, this is Blackie. Oh, hello, Blackie. Find anything in that hotel room? Plenty, Mary, plenty. In fact, I'm still here. Why? Waiting for a phone call. Oh, darling, why a phone call? One after what I found here. What have you found? First of all, a mask and a number. A mask? Yeah. In fact, it's a hood. It covers the whole face except the two small holes for the eyes. What do you suppose that's for? I don't know exactly. But Howard told me that none of the extortion gang knew each other. It could be they wear masks to their meetings. Oh, I see. And our dead friend was number one. Oh. What are you going to do? Well, number one made a collection today, $5,000. Unless he's the boss, the boss will either come here or phone here and arrange to get the money. So I'm going to wait here for that call. All right, Blackie, but be careful, darling. Sure, I will. Oh, but look, do me a favor right away, will you? Sure. Phone Faraday and tell him about the accident out in the country. What if he's already found out about it? Well, if he has, tell him not to release the name of the dead man until I say so. Blackie, what are you up to? Nothing serious, Mary. Just an impersonation in case the boss calls. And I don't think even I could give a very good impersonation of a man the boss knows is dead. Oh, I get it. And the boss will have no way of knowing number one is dead if the inspector doesn't release his name. My, but you're smart. I heard enough of his voice to imitate it. I hope. Well, call Faraday right away, will you? Oh, sure, right away. And then where can I reach you later? Right here. Room 928, the Maxwell. Bye. Bye. Hello? Hello, Carton? Yes. This is me. You know who. Collect from Han? Yes. Good. We're meeting tonight. Bring the money in. Don't forget to wear your mask. All right. Where are we meeting? Same place? Yes, same place. Think that's smart? Sure. Why not? Howard may be yelping now. The heat may be on. Maybe somebody saw us at the old spot. I think we ought to meet at a new place. Yeah. Maybe you're right. It'd be safer. Sure. Good idea. Where do you want to meet? You're the boss, aren't you? You name it. All right. We'll make it in the empty house at the crossroads of Cheever Lane. Nine o'clock. That's a long drive. You'd better leave right away. All right? The empty house at the crossroads of Cheever Lane at nine o'clock. I'll be there. Faraday speaking. Inspector Faraday, this is Mary Wesley. You've got a nerve calling me, Miss Wesley, when your pal Blackie practically kidnapped me today. Inspector, if he did, it was for your own good. And also, if you don't want Blackie killed, you have to do something for me. I sure don't want Blackie killed. I want the pleasure of killing him myself. Listen, Inspector Faraday. There was an auto accident on the Glenmore Road about 11 o'clock this morning. A man was killed. So what? So when you get the report, don't release the name of the dead man. Or Blackie will be one, too. What are you talking about? The dead man is a member of an extortion gang. 
And Blackie is trying to take his place so he can catch the headman. Now, if the leader knows that his man is dead, Blackie will be in trouble. You tell Blackie to let the police handle things like this. Too late, Inspector. Blackie may already have contacted the boss. Oh, all right. I have to spend all my time getting that guy out of jams. I won't release the name, Miss Wesley. Oh, thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Rollins! Rollins, come in here! Yes, Inspector? Rollins, phone the accident bureau. Tell them not to release the name of the man killed in that wreck on the Glenmore Road. Huh? The accident bureau called here over an hour ago, Inspector, and we released the name to the papers right away. What? Well, that's what we always do, Inspector. I know, but we don't always have Boston Blackie to worry about. Get Mary Wesley on the phone, quick. And get me a squad car right away. Hop in, Miss Wesley. Did you get a hold of Blanky? No, Inspector Faraday. I phoned the Maxwell Hotel as soon as I got your call, but the room didn't answer. Oh, that's bad. Maxwell Hotel, Rollins. We'll try to pick up Blanky's trail from there. And turn on that siren. Yes, sir. That's the first portion of Boston Blackie. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Boston Blackie. Meeting in a new place tonight, thanks to the brilliant judgment of number one. He feels that perhaps our former meeting place might have been spotted. He wouldn't want that. We uh, make a big haul with our collections, boss. We're going to that in a moment, number five. Well, I got 10,000. Two stops, two collections. All of the men got at least that much. We're doing quite well, number five. Hey, look, Boston, we always got to wear these masks to these maidens. This is a good setup, only it's... Oh? You think we ought to wear masks, don't you, number one? Yeah. You wouldn't want one of our weaker members in a weaker moment to turn us over to the police, would you, number one? Well? What's the matter with you, number one? You haven't much to say, and your tongue is usually rather glib. I don't have much to say. Why not? I listen better than I talk. So it seems... We were more than an hour late in getting this meeting started. You seem to prefer to listen at all that time. What are you listening for, number one? Nothing. Just listening. Oh, you must be listening for something. <coughs> oh, only to hear what you have to say. You're sure you can hear well? Yeah. Sure you feel well? Why, uh, yeah. That's amazing, number one. I expected you to be at least a little bit shaken up. Shaken up? By what? That accident. Accident? Yes. The one in which you were killed. Killed? Yes. How does it feel to be dead? There must be some mistake. There's no mistake. I heard it on the radio. This meeting was delayed while I went to the morgue to identify your body. I was quite certain you were in no condition to attend this meeting. Hey, look, boss, if number one is dead... Who's this guy? This guy, number five, is the one who talked to me over the phone as number one several hours after number one was dead. I have a rather strong suspicion he's Boston Blackie. But 
Boston Blackie or not, he's an imposter. But what do you think we ought to do with imposters? Don't reach for your gun, Blackie. Mine is already in my hand. So I see. Good. I asked you a moment ago how it felt to be dead, and you didn't know. No, I didn't. But I suppose maybe I'm going to in a moment. Yes, but suppose you take off your mask. I'd like to see whom I'm going to kill. All right. Yeah. It is Boston Blackie. Oh, thanks for the flattery, number five. I didn't know my face was so well known. Hey, boss, this guy knows about us. Maybe the cops know, too. I don't think so. Boston Blackie doesn't work with the police. They didn't follow you yet, did they, Blackie? I wouldn't know. Would you know? You don't have a chance to survive the next 60 seconds. You're, um, going to kill me here? Here? Why not? No particular reason, I... Simply imagined that I would die in much more pleasant surroundings. Turn around. What for? Turn around. You're the kind who ought to be shot in the back. Don't reach for your gun, Hood. Hey, it's the cops. The police. Beat it. Hold on, Blackie. Let you still get it. Your aim is bad when you're excited. All right, everybody. Stand where you are. Stand where you are. Hello, Faraday. Hello, Blackie. You all right? I'm not only all right, I'm amazed. How did you find me here? That was easy. Just a little smart investigating, that's all. All right, men, get these guys out of here. I don't want to see them again till they're in the lineup without their mask. Here I am, Mary. Oh. And not a scratch on me. Oh, Blackie, that taxi driver was telling the truth. Then. What taxi driver? Oh, never mind. What taxi driver? Let's get out of here. <laughs> oh, I get it now, Faraday. It was a little smart investigating that found me, huh? Uh, Why, any two-year-old could check with the cabs at the stand at the Hotel Maxwell and find out I'd been brought here. Okay, but does it matter how I found you? I found you, and that's what counts. You don't know how that does count, Faraday. Next time there's a party in your honor, count me in, because you're the only reason our hooded friends didn't count me out. And that's Boston Blackie with the Hooded Gang, starring Dick Kalmar from June 18, 1946. In the cast, Leslie Woods as his girlfriend Mary, and Maurice Tarplin as Inspector Faraday is heard on ABC. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, before we tune into You Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx, I want to remind all of our listeners about our surprise boxes. Right, Lisa? Yes, we have three of them to choose from. Three great surprises boxes. Number one is classic radio on CD. And number two is movies and TV on DVD. And number three is Twilight Zone radio dramas on CD. So yeah. you pick your choice. You can take one, two, or all three of these. And for more information, you can go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. There's a pop-up and you can learn more. And we hope that you will check it out. It is a deal of deals. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, people are loving it. And you get a ton of product for only $39.99. It's $150 or more of brand new product in each one of the categories Lisa just listed. Classic radio, classic movies and TV on DVD, and then the Twilight Zone radio drama. So go to Hollywood360radio.com and check out our pop-up. And when you are at our website, very important, folks, we have uh, launched an app especially for you. It's our classic radio app. It's absolutely free. Just download it to either your iPhone or your Android phone. And then and in that free app, you get 10 free classic radio shows and many, many more to purchase 
in-app. But you get the 10 free ones, and the app is free. So just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com, and check out our banner. And you can click right through to the Android store or click right through to the Apple store. So do check it out. Go to our site, Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for You Bet Your Life. It was a game show hosted by Groucho Marx of the Marx Brothers fame. His assistant and announcer was George Fenneman. It began on ABC Radio in 1947, then made a transition to television in 1950. Now, each show offered a secret word like house, money, hat, etc., and contestants would banter about their life with Groucho, and if by chance they said the secret word, they'd win $100. And we have an episode for you now from October 19th, 1949. The secret word is clock. Here's Groucho Marx on You Bet Your Life. Ladies and gentlemen, don't tell a soul, but the secret word tonight is clock. C-L-O-C-K. Really? You bet your life. Elgin American presents Groucho Marx in the Elgin American show, You Bet Your Life. The comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here's that sterling Elgin American, the one, the only... Face is familiar, but I don't place the name. (laughs) Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's first to try and take it away from me? Just before we went on the air, we asked if there were any youngsters present who'd like to get married someday if they found the right partner. And our studio audience selected Valerie Cote and Mike Maloof. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for Elgin American Compacts. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, I'll pay $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. Uh, Valerie uh, Cote, is that the way you That's pronounce right. It? Where are you from, Valerie? I'm a native. Native of what? California. Of California. Huh? And uh, Mike? Mike Maloof? Yes, sir. Where's your hometown, Mike? I'm a native also. Oh. What a coincidence, huh? <laughs> You're both in the same train. Hmm? <laughs> how old are you, Mike? I'm 25. And uh, how old are you, Valerie? 19. Tell me, uh, why would you like to get married? Home, children, security. Mm-hmm. You can get that at the bank, you know. Right? <laughs> and, uh, Mike, why would you like to get married? Well, sir, I have no particular reason. <laughs> well, don't start thinking of any reasons or you'll change your mind. <laughs> By the way, what sort of work do you do, Mike? Well, I'm the chief usher at the Paramount Hollywood Theater. Oh, West Point graduate, huh? <laughs> Well, hush my mouth. Say, if you two are married, uh, you could set up housekeeping in the lobby. Huh? <laughs> you could live on popcorn. <laughs> That's in case you want to butter him up. You, know? <laughs> you understand. Yeah. Where do you Where do you work, Valerie? I'm a fountain girl. Would you give me that again, please? I'm a fountain girl. You're a fountain girl. <laughs> what park do you spout in? Uh... <laughs> You don't spout? No, I work at Chapman's Soda Fountain. Oh, I see. What do you do at your soda fountain? Make Cokes, sodas, shakes. And shakes? Shakes. Would you mind shaking for me now? (laughs) Mike, let's get back to you. You're still here, I presume. Yes, sir, I am. Well, you'll have to wait. There aren't any seats. (laughs) As an usher, just just what do you do, uh, Mike? Well, sir, I'm in charge of all the ushers. I schedule their days off and make sure that everything runs smoothly when people come into the theater. Well, what are some of the complaints you have against movie customers, Mike? 
One of our biggest annoyances would be uh, people in the balcony, young kids shooting water all over the audience on the main floor <laughs> with little water pistols. They're awful hard to find. Yeah, they're hard to find? They're you mean the pistols are hard to find? Yes, they hide in their coats when we come to look for them. Uh-huh. Well, you must spend some very interesting moments, eh? Well, uh, Looking for concealed water pistols in the balcony. <laughs> Do you ever send five people into a row where there's only three seats? Well, that happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. And what happens then? Well, they come out the other end. Well, you're a charming couple, and we want you to have, each have a gift from our sponsor. Mike, are you interested in any particular girl? No, I'm not. Are you interested in a girl if she's particular? <laughs> I don't mean that. I mean, I'm no special girl at the moment. Some usher. He doesn't even have a lady in the balcony. Huh? Now, what's the favorite dish you make at your fountain, Valerie? It's the ice cream banquet. It's the 60 ice cents. cream banquet? Mm-hmm. We have... A uh, how do you make it? We have a scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla, scoop of strawberry, scoop of coffee, scoop of peach, scoop of banana nut, scoop of lemon stick, fresh peaches, pineapples, strawberries, raspberries, marshmallow, cold fudge, real whipped cream, pecans, almonds, walnuts, and a cherry. And how much extra is the stomach pump? <laughs> well, are you fond of soda fountain specials, Mike? Yes, sir, I am. I'm not talking about Valerie here, you know. <laughs> Although she's not a bad dish. I'm, would, you, would you like to go to a movie with him, Valerie? Oh, I think so. And Mike, would you like to hold hands with a girl like in your theater? Yes, sir. <laughs> You'd like to hold hands with a girl in your theater. Very romantic picture. You holding hands with a girl as you run up and down the aisle. Right? <laughs> Valerie, you better have very long arms. Now answer yes or no. Will you take this girl to your movie? Yes, sir. Then I now pronounce you double features. <laughs> and may you have many selected short subjects. <laughs> well, I hope we started something between you two here tonight. And if anything besides a double marshmallow Sunday develops, be sure to let us know. Huh? <laughs> now, in just one minute, you're going to work together for $2,000. Now then, let's see if you two will get a chance at the $2,000 question. You're going to play your bet your life. Fenneman, bring them up to date on the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. What question category did you select? Movie G. star. Married names of movie stars. Yes. Is that right? All right, here's your first question. How much will you bet? You've got $20. Ten. Ten? Shirley Ager is her married name. What is her screen name? Temple. Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple is right. <laughs> and they're off to a great start, Groucho. They have $30. How much of your $30 will you bet? Fifteen. Fifteen? What is Esther Gage's screen name? Esther Williams. Esther Williams is correct. They're on their way. They have $45. Here's your third question. How much of the 45 are you going to risk? Twenty. Twenty? What is Betty Briskin's screen name? Betty Hutton. Betty Hutton. These fellas too smart. They're really on their way. They have $65. No wonder he's a general in that movie theater now. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 65 are you going to try? Fifty. Fifty. Okay. What is Jane Waterfield's screen name? Jane Russell. Jane Russell is on the nose. And they wind up with a grand total of $115. Thanks and good luck. Don't run off now. You still have a chance at the big question. Who's next, George? 
A married man selected from our studio audience and as his partner, a mind reader. They've been off stage, so they don't know the secret word is clock. The gentleman is Mr. Bob Lampert, and the mind reader, Mrs. Roberta Vincent. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to the Elgin American Program. And if you say the secret word at any time we're talking, wait a minute, a mind reader. She probably knows what the secret word is already. <laughs> Having a secret word with a mind reader is like carrying coals to John L. Lewis. <laughs> Roberta, let's make it fair. If your partner says the secret word, I'll pay $100 instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. And you're the partner. Bob uh, Lampert. Huh? You're a mind reader, eh, uh, Roberta? That's right. I'm, I'm surprised you're still speaking to me, then. <laughs> where, where are you from, Roberta? Originally from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Mr. Bob Lampert, huh? Lampert? That's right. Where are you from? Santa Ana. What sort of work do you do? I'm in the sporting goods business. What kind of sporting? Oh, rackets, fishing tackle. Racket? Tennis rackets. How long have you been in the racket racket, huh? Oh, about five years. Mm-hmm. How'd you meet your wife, Bob? Well, I uh, met her in her sleep. What do you mean you uh, met her in your sleep? She was going to school at the time up at San Jose State. And it uh, seems as though she overworks or crams or anything while she's a sleepwalker. Well, this night I happened to be walking down the street and I saw this job in the uh, pink pajamas. You saw this job, did you say? <laughs> that was before I was married to her. And did you apply for a job? Uh, later on I did. So, what happened? There she was, and uh, it's about two o'clock in the morning, I guess. You said clock, and that's the secret word. That means you've just won yourself $100. There it is. Congratulations. Now, where were we when that clock struck, huh? We were at two at the mo- in the morning. That's right. You were on the main street, and you were chasing a girl in her pajamas. So what happened? I went up, woke her up, and uh, took her back to the house, and uh, we got acquainted, and I kept coming back. Like a song? Uh- <laughs> Roberta, do you have any little profits at home? I have two of them. What does your husband do, Roberta? Well, he's the superintendent of Olds Manufacturing Company. Well, uh, how did he feel marrying a mind reader? He didn't realize he was marrying a mind reader. He didn't know it for a year and, well, just about a year after he was married. Well, how did he find out? Well, my bank account was so large and his was so small, he couldn't just figure it out. And uh, do you split the money now? I mean, are you... Well, he uses all mine and all his, so that's the way it works. Uh-huh. Well, that's a nice arrangement, huh? <laughs> he doesn't object to it. In addition know. to your bank account, uh, what does your husband like about you particularly? Oh, I'm a good cook, and I have a very nice disposition. Mm-hmm. You look very amiable. Huh? <laughs> Always cheerful. Yeah? Always cheer- very cheerful. Your husband is a very fortunate man. Not many people that have found a happy medium. Huh? <laughs> How, how would you like to be married to a mind reader, Mr. Lampert? Huh? Mm, might as well be. I can't keep a secret from my wife anyway. Let's see. How long have you been married, did you say? Seven years. Seven years. And how old is your wife? Twenty-nine. You think your wife wants you to broadcast that little piece of information? <laughs> On CBS, where 99 million people gather every week? <laughs> Hadn't thought of that. Roberta, where do you do this mind reading? Well, at the various e-bell clubs and Eastern <clears throat> Stars and schools. Well, I don't go in for mind reading. The keyhole is good enough for me. 
Which do you find the hardest to read, a, a woman's mind or a man's? Oh, a man's mind, much harder. Well, why, why is that? A woman will believe anything you tell her. <laughs> Not when you stagger in at three o'clock in the morning, huh? <laughs> Now, suppose I took a $20 bill out of my pants pocket. Could you tell me the serial number on it? Yes, I could. Could you also tell me whose pants I was wearing? <laughs> Suppose you run into some schmo whose mind is a complete blank. Uh, what do you do then? Huh? Well, no person has a completely blank mind. Have you ever been in a nightclub around four in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lampert, do you agree with what she said? That's my case. <laughs> well, you make an interesting couple, and we want both of you to have some lovely gifts from our sponsor. Fenneman, would you mind doing the honors? Not at all. For Mrs. Vincent, Elgin American's beautiful dresser set in jeweler's bronze oh, with a look of gold. Beautiful. Did you know you were going to get that, Rebecca? No, I didn't. Fine mind reader. Huh? <laughs> Funny, I knew it, and I'm not a mind reader. <laughs> and for Mr. Bob Lampert, pearls for your wife. Elgin American's beautiful pearls. They're the finest pearls made by man. I'm sure your wife will enjoy them, Bob. Very nice. Well, now let's play your bet your life for $2,000. Run your $20 into more than our other couples, and you get the chance at the big question later. Now, wait a second. We better ought to know all the answers. She'd win on a walk. <laughs> Mr. Lampert, is your wife in the audience? Yes, she is. Uh, would you ask her to come up here and participate in the quiz? Hey. She can be your partner. Come on up, Ellen. Ellen, come on up, will you? <laughs> You see, nobody's safe while we're doing this show. How is it you're not in your pajamas, Helen? Huh? <laughs> Hello, uh, Mrs. Lampert. Welcome for Elgin American Compacts. Do you think you're going to be of much help to your husband? He's going to need help when I get him home. <laughs> well, you help him with the answers, and perhaps he'll win enough to buy you a new mink coat. All right, Fenneman's off stage. Remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The usher and the soda fountain girl won $115. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. What question category did you select? Uh, down on the farm. Down on the farm. You're a farm boy, huh? Here's your first question. How much will you bet? You've got $20. Bet 10. 10? What kind of an animal is a Guernsey? It's a cow. Let's break from You Bet Your Life. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's the conclusion to You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. Then it's NBC short story with I Am Not a Stranger from 1951. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you all next time right here on Hollywood 360. 